You are listening to the Blockchain Dialogues podcast. All views expressed on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be taken as financial advice. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Blockchain Dialogues podcast with your hosts Krishna and Nikhil. In this podcast series, we analyze various cutting-edge technologies and projects in the field of blockchains, DLTs, and cryptocurrencies. So in today's episode, we'll be discussing a topic that has been conceptually talked about many times in the recent years, but it looks like that concept is getting closer and closer to being realized, and that is the concept of Web 3.0. So as the name suggests, Web 3.0 refers to the third version of the web as we know it. So as of right now, we consider ourselves to be largely living in the Web 2.0 paradigm. but uh, we are just at the cusp of a technological revolution that will take us into this new paradigm of web 3.0 so to quickly give a glimpse of what this means with web 3.0 we are envisioning a web where multiple technologies will come together such as machine learning big data and cloud blockchain and other dlts to create an ecosystem that is smarter more automated and more decentralized So in today's episode we'll talk about what all of this means from a philosophical standpoint from a technology standpoint and also uh, maybe take a closer look at how blockchain technology specifically will become an enabler for this new paradigm of web 3.0 So with that uh, Nikhil shall we start off with what web 1.0 and 2.0 were like uh, what were the attributes and how the web has evolved so far so what is web 1 and web 2 if this is going to be web 3 well uh, it's a rather difficult question to answer because a lot of it depends on what people mean by web 3 and uh, if you ask different people they have different viewpoints uh, on how to kind of classify the uh, the growth of the internet so to speak but in general from a <coughs> can let's kind of look at it from a viewpoint of decentralization and centralization say so when web 1 uh, started right so web 1 was basically the start of the internet was when uh, it was started off as part of the arpanet and it grew out of uh, universities right so there basically the idea was uh, sharing information moving things around giving it to people so web 1 uh, when they opened it out to the public largely consisted of a bunch of enthusiasts who uh, set up websites and web pages and broadcast information to people right so there was very little interactivity uh, the idea was to make information available and uh, that's what so that's what people did right so they they basically created their own little web servers they ran their own little mail servers and uh, you know essentially put whatever they wanted on these uh, websites and uh, the, the sufficiently interested uh, consumers were the ones who actually went through the process of figuring out where this data was where, where the website was located go to the website and then download the page and then read it right so it was it was all very 
amateurish. I mean, there was no kind of advertising. There wasn't any kind of much focus on uh, what the user experience would be, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It was it was kind of usually a great thing if you could actually get to the web page, download it, and read it. Then uh, the the towards the tail end of the web one era, people, I mean, the businesses started seeing the and the entrepreneurs started seeing the potential uh, of of the internet, and uh, they started trying to leverage the internet. So you get the uh, dot com boom where there is a bunch of ideas, there's a lot of money uh, invested in these ideas, and you know you have uh, what at that point in time seemed ridiculous things like uh, you know e-commerce stores for your pets, for example. These were uh, these were considered, and you know, these companies embarked on trying to build these uh, ideas out, and they encountered the fundamental problems or limitations of Web point Web one point right? Which is basically uh, the the poor network infrastructure, poor browser standards, and uh, uh, just generally. Uh, ineffective or p- poorly uh, lack of power in the computers right, right. so I also i i'd like to add that you know i think uh, since you took the example of pet food uh, i think one of the major reasons why uh, those businesses which focused on uh, pet food uh, uh, at that point of time i think also because logistically speaking Shipping pet food from one place to another was really heavy uh, and it was very costly. No, absolutely. So they had an idea and the infrastructure for the idea was not there yet, right? They did not have, we did not have the maturity in the supply chain. You did not have digital logistics. Right. You did not have the Amazon model, for example, right? True. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, so this, that's what the, the, uh, the kind, so that's basically the end of web one, right? So web two basically uh, is, could be kind of looked at at around uh, you know the mid 2000s 2005 2006 to uh, up to now right so uh, generally uh, there are multiple ways to kind of mark this but I, I like to uh, look at uh, the rise of the iPhone right as uh, one of the kind of starting bells or the starting shot of uh, Web 2 because uh, the iPhone, uh, if you remember at that time, was one of the first uh, uh, phones that kind of helped, that let you browse on the internet over the mobile network, right? right? And uh, in a a very nice, seamless manner using touch screens and all of that and made it very sexy and all of that. it's not like it web uh, mobile phones could not do that before, but it was just too clunky, right? So the user interface was not correct. And yeah. uh, the the uh, the iPhone then introduced the idea of apps and the mobile app, and that kind of again boosted that particular niche over there. And uh, uh, around the same time, we also had uh, Google Chrome come in. Uh, that kind of replaced uh, Microsoft's Internet Explorer. And so you had this general up-leveling of software and hardware uh, on on the client side. Right. And uh, around the same time also, Amazon revealed uh, 
AWS uh, or Amazon Web Services. And this was a major game changer because now uh, a lot of the things that uh, the dot-com boom company struggled with, struggled with, which was, you know, buying large amounts of hardware, very expensive servers, uh, data centers, managing all of that, all kind of went away and you could just literally rent what you needed uh, from AWS and uh, run your business. So that basically was a uh, a great force multiplier. A classic case in this case is Netflix, right? Because Netflix basically just pivoted its entire business onto streaming and kind of bet on AWS for uh, handling uh, their infrastructure needs. So uh, this convergence of cloud-based so uh, infrastructure as a service, as well as uh, the new uh, the mobile user interface and mobile apps, uh, both of this kind of kind of addressed a lot of the concerns that uh, Web 1.0 had. And uh, the final piece, uh, one of the, I wouldn't say final, but one of the main pieces that was missing in Web 1.0, which was the business model, uh, that soon became the business model of uh, advertising, right? So that kind of uh, was a, a way for uh, companies to then start monetizing on their users. So the users basically, and it's it's a very sweet model, right? Because the user doesn't have to uh, do anything. Uh, they just have to be participating or providing their interest and uh, they become the product, right? And they kind of, their uh, attention, their location, their all, all, all of their information is automatically kind of uh, slurped up by these uh, large data companies and then analyzed and then they themselves are then targeted for ads. And while being targeted for ads in itself is not necessarily a I mean, it's a, it's a morally ambiguous thing. I, I have no opinions about it myself. Uh, it, it, the danger out here basically is that this information then started getting sold and resold amongst companies. Uh, and oftentimes, uh, even if you, uh, even if they didn't sell and resell it, it got distributed every time they got acquired or, uh, uh they, they got bankrupted or, shut down, the data basically became one of the assets that was moved around, right? So uh, at the end of the day, uh, that became one of the key drivers, the uh, oil, so to speak, of the Web 2.0, Web 2.0 phase. And uh, one of the things about this is that as time went by, uh, the easy wins of you know, targeting new uh, markets and uh, improving your efficiencies, uh, you start reaching a kind of like a asymptotic, uh, you reach the top of the asymptote, right? The top of your S-curve and kind of like you start getting diminishing returns. And then now you're, if you're in that particular stage, it becomes now a zero-sum game rather, rather than a positive-sum game because uh, the only way you can actually make more money now would be to kind of start uh, either con- uh, acquiring or competing with uh, 
other companies. And this kind of leads to even more consolidation, right? So uh, that is kind of where we are right now in this pretty uh, bad, <laughs> let's say, uh, uh, place where you have a few platforms uh, like Google, Amazon, uh, Apple, that kind of have emerged and are kind of basically fighting with each other to get more and more of people's time. And um, there's no kind of uh, thought being put into what the people want in that particular equation anymore. So right. uh, that's Web uh, 2. So uh, with that, let's start to take a look at uh, Web 3.0 and you know how it's going to be different from uh, web 1.0 and 2.0 so just to touch on a, a few points that uh, you mentioned Nikhil, like just to give a sort of a recap of uh, web 1.0 and 2.0 again uh, so like you mentioned web 1.0 phase uh, looking from a data perspective and how data was actually being handled over the web uh, the internet was mostly consisting of static pages and therefore uh, it was primarily meant for reading content from static websites and then web 2.0 came along and you have you had these companies like Facebook, YouTube, like you mentioned, and you know uh, there was this whole mobile revolution, uh, which was you know which led to people being uh, connected to the web all the time, and your mobile device went from being a, a device to call and text people to the small little computer, you know, like you mentioned, you know you could just uh, access any apps and you could uh, watch video content, you could send emails, all of that, right? So, like you mentioned, like the big problem <laughs> that, that we are facing today is that, you know, all of these big giants, they started to collect all of this data from users. And uh, so, in essence, uh, users sort of became the product for these companies because it was the data of these users that uh, started to be sold to advertisers. Uh, and uh, this is one of the uh, main things, you know, which Web 3.0, I would say, is, is looking to differentiate itself uh, with. So, in, in Web 3.0, users effectively will be complete owners of their data uh, and not decentralized third-party companies like 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 the web 2.0 model that we have so from a data perspective that is one key difference and uh, how this would work is that you know you would have uh, decentralized social media apps uh, like facebook like instagram uh, or uh, you know decentralized video sharing uh, apps like youtube uh, built on blockchain uh, in a way that uh, there is no central company that is owning your data so uh, if you want to publish your data, you publish it. You want to share it, you can share it. Uh, if you want to take it down entirely, you can take it down. Uh, and uh, how companies would be built on these decentralized platforms uh, would be mostly uh, through DAOs. Like th that, th that would be the governance mechanism for uh, companies that are uh, going to be built on this new Web 3.0 paradigm. Uh, and DAO, as we've talked about before, uh, it stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization where there is no centralized person as a CEO or a key manager, you know, that is that is having the power to take down the system, uh, unilaterally make changes to the system. Decisions would be taken through voting, uh, decentralized voting. Uh, philosophically speaking, you know, uh, these are some of the key differences. And uh, one of the key aspects about the identity of the users itself is that, you know, the identity would be more protected compared to how it is right now. So uh, on a decentralized web, uh, since there is no central authority controlling the gateways of who is using the decentralized network and how, uh, there is no hard and fast rule that your identity as a user would be connected to your real world identity. 
So uh, as long as you have a wallet that is loaded with the corresponding cryptocurrency of the network that you're using, uh, you would be able to exist and participate on the network without having to give your uh, real world identity. So uh, this is a very top level view of how Web 3.0 would be different from the existing system. Uh, Nikhil, would you like to go into how all of this would be achieved? Uh, you know, what are the technologies that Web 3.0 will be built on? Um, how cryptocurrencies would play a role? Uh, NFTs, decentralized exchanges, uh, and uh, everything else that uh, crypto has to offer. So, okay, <laughs> uh, okay. So you've you've given a great kind of a marketing level uh, overview of uh, what Web 3.0 is uh, from uh, what crypto companies would like us to have believe. And I'll, I'll, and I'll prefix this by saying that at the moment, I'm a little bit more skeptical than opti optimistic about uh, what they have to offer, really, uh, for, <laughs> because I still see there is a, a lot of questions that uh, still need uh, good answers for. I mean, they may be working on it, uh, but there aren't any answers as far as I can see even now. So when you think about the actual uh, use cases, right? So let's take the use case of uh, the identity question, right? So the first thing itself, uh, one of the paradoxes of blockchains is the fact that in order to meet the properties of, you know, not being changeable and all of that, that blockchains have that, you know, uh, it is a pen only and you cannot change uh, data once it's been added is that the data itself is transparent, right? So uh, the way kind of it works is that, okay, if there is any change made, it is immediately apparent to everybody because the data has been changed. Now, one can argue that, hey, uh, you can encrypt the data, but then in order to actually use that data, then you need to provide a decryption key and uh, providing a decryption key to, to, to your personal data to a uh, the Facebook on the blockchain basically gives them the ability to completely access that, right? And then uh, how do you actually prevent them uh, afterwards from not decrypting your data? So it's a, it's a complicated question. There are some cryptographic ways to answer it, but uh, not that I have actually seen that being done right now. And... Uh, to the larger question about, okay, we'll hold our personal data on the blockchain. Uh, another challenge with that is that uh, as of right now, it is expensive to have data on the blockchain. Forget uh, your personal data, even even your, uh, even in an, even NFTs today, the NFT itself is not uh, kept on the blockchain. It's only a pointer or a URL uh, to the NFT link that is kept on the blockchain and uh, uh, the actual data is not, right? So that makes it, again, uh, quite difficult uh, when you... Uh, so how do you kind of prevent the data where be from being modified where it was originally, right? So recently there was this uh, article uh, made by Moxie Marlenspike um, who happens to be the former CEO of uh, Signal, 
he is a crypt a long time cryptographer and one of the things that he did was he created this very interesting nft where which he created and the nft would show different images uh based on which nft marketplace you viewed it from right and if you viewed it from your own wallet it would then show you a the icon of a uh shit uh, shit icon right and okay. uh the, the 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 point he was trying to make is that yeah it's all pointing to a quote unquote url the same quote unquote url but there's nothing mm-hmm. stopping me from changing that url because that url points to a web server that i own right right so that is a, a classic uh, example of why it is there is a lot of distance still that needs to be covered before we can actually reach that ideal of okay data on the blockchain and the data is basically uh, something that we can control right right but if you took a case of something like crypto kitties right like that would not that that would be on the blockchain itself right like all the information about the different kitties that yes so the the thing about the crypto kitties was that the image was auto generated based on a uh, program mm-hmm. right so what they that is how you could breed the crypto crypto kitty for example right so they created a set of quote unquote generic genetic characteristics right and uh, they had a program that basically quote unquote created your crypto kitty based on that algorithm mm-hmm. right so the value essentially was in that unique set of characteristics that represented your crypto kitty mm-hmm. right it was not the image itself so i mean if if somebody were to create their own form of art uh, that would be a challenge to put uh, on the uh, yeah the i mean you right take now. the uh, uh, take the people thing right right uh, the people image uh, i don't think the image was ever put on the blockchain only a pointer to the image was put on the blockchain so the point i'm trying to make here is that yeah uh, in all of these nft platforms there's no kind of it does there doesn't seem to be any kind of standard on uh what constitutes uh an nft image or a piece of art or a sculpture so you can have and it you can have a pointer to a you know web server you can have a pointer to ipfs link you can upload an image whatever right so uh it's that's one of the things that is problematic because that last part is not as not secured or not as secure as a blockchain right uh, right uh yeah I, i mean one argument could be made that you could put it on ipfs uh, and then have the ipfs network manage it for you but then uh ipfs is basically a voluntary network and uh there is a non zero chance that if you added uploaded something in the ipfs network unless you maintain a copy yourself or have a few people friends of yours maintaining copies uh, uh by running ipfs nodes uh, there's a non zero chance that that link may no longer work after some time and uh, therefore in, in which case if you have to maintain something yourself then you much easier to just set up a web server to run it so since you are specifically talking about the actual storage of the data itself i'm just thinking uh, you know how would something like filecoin uh, come into this picture you know in the web 3.0 so yeah so filecoin basically runs on top of ipfs right and what filecoin does is 
it provides uh, an incentivize, incentivization mechanism. So you have to continuously pay somebody to keep uh, that asset uh, alive, right? So there will be a a marketplace uh, where you can uh, bid for images or whatever data you need to keep, and uh, there will be a, a price that you you can uh, you the lowest price that you can you're willing to pay or what whatever. Uh, at at this point, and I'm not too sure about the current inner workings of how Filecoin works, but uh, the general idea essentially is that. Uh, it's a marketplace for keeping your data, uh, just like you'd pay AWS uh, to store your files in S3 storage. Right. So I'm assuming that this, uh, at least in the beginning days, it would be a lot more expensive compared to having that same yes. data on AWS, right? So what kind of data do you think like uh, would be the starting point for a service like Filecoin? Uh, so, uh, not to get kind of drawn in too far into the Filecoin discussion, but uh, generally in Filecoin right now, I would say uh, the type of data you would want to put over there is proofs of things, right? So, like maybe your certificates mm-hmm. uh, or uh, contracts, legal contracts, or contentious things that you really absolutely want to kind of uh, store with multiple redundancies right uh one of the things that filecoin kind of uh has on top of over aws is that aws periodically goes down filecoin the chances of it going down is less uh because you have you will have multiple copies of the of the file in multiple places but again uh to come back to the uh underlying root cause over there uh, as uh, we mentioned in passing right now, that Filecoin is probably going to be more expensive than S, uh, S3 storage. And it, that is true. And uh, that is also an underlying problem with the Web3 on blockchain today, right? Because mm-hmm. if you look at the Web3 on blockchain today, uh, even the NFT thing, right? It is not possible to... I mean, you, you, cannot, you cannot create NFTs uh, less than say I don't know maybe a hundred dollars two hundred dollars because the cost of minting one itself is uh, non-trivial it's almost like 50 60 bucks so uh, even bidding on an nft <laughs> unless you're bidding a large enough value is not economical right so mm-hmm. uh, where is the decentralization then because now that means that you've shrunk the market to uh, people who are willing to pay and who deal with large amounts of money, right? So they may not be uh, the your traditional set of millionaires and billionaires. These would be the crypto bros right now, uh, the board uh, board ape yacht club members or somebody like that. But the fact <laughs> right. remains that they are kind of going to be a very small minority of the overall population, right? So if mm. you if you're thinking about this being somehow decentralizing uh, in the internet, uh, I would argue that's not the case because you're still, you've just, pri- I mean, most things are priced out of the average person's uh, price point. Um, so that's that's another uh, big point. Like I, I don't uh, uh, see as, okay, this is, this is something that needs to be solved before we can truly say uh, Web3. And uh, before somebody comes around and says, hey, okay, Ethereum is not the only blockchain in the world. Uh, there are other blockchains. Um, and why don't you go and look at the prices on them? 
uh, my argument is uh, yes, uh, there are other blockchains uh, right now, but uh, reality is the uh, Ethereum is the largest one, uh, the one that seems to be having most of the innovation. And uh, the other blockchains uh, are also not that bad, I mean, not that cheap uh, in the sense that uh, if you take one of the popular ones, right, uh, which is Solana, uh, uh, and if you look at it from the lens of decentralization, I'm not that fully convinced that it is very decentralized right now. Uh, it may be down the line, but I, I kind of uh, have my doubts about it. Its governance seems to be pretty... Uh, it's, I mean, you just look at the people who bought, who, who got the governance token uh, uh, for Solana and uh, you, you see the spread of uh, how that token is uh, distributed during its uh, ICO and uh, it's quite centralized for me. Uh, but again, I, I digress. Uh, getting back to the whole uh, Web3 thing, uh, we've been talking about NFTs and uh, DeFi, I mean, uh, Ethereum to a certain extent. Uh, there is uh, another aspect to this, which is, uh, uh, which at least for a while was kind of exciting, uh, which was the whole decentralized autonomous organization idea. Uh, and DAOs basically are is a new way of thinking, right? So uh, they are a way, new way of, uh, you know, getting. Uh, people involved, your community involved, a, a new way of kind of incentivizing users to use your product. Uh, but again, if you look at where most DAOs have gone, uh, it they've inevitably kind of turned out to be um, using voting and uh, we've all, we all know how vo uh, voting in democracies turn out. Uh, if you if you if you're not vote if if your voter turnout in your country uh, is only about thirty percent, so like seventy percent of people can't be even bothered to vote once in X number of years. Uh, how do you expect <laughs> your community to vote every few weeks or every so often on uh, deeply technical topics or topics they may not be interested in? Uh, so that is again another real world weakness of what might be a technically uh, sound idea uh, so to speak right so right. Uh, that is uh, again another point uh, I would say uh, this is uh, I was speaking to somebody recently about this uh, and and kind of the way uh, he was asking me you know about how do you see blockchain development what, what blockchains are and one of the things that uh, we discussed was blockchains basically have mechanism design and incentive design as a core part of uh, the design of a blockchain. Uh, and But it's uh, always been built around game theoretic aspects where you kind of think of everybody as rational individuals. And right. uh, we've all seen with behavioral economics and economics in general that uh, the underlying assumption of a rational individual is simply untrue. Uh, people, human beings are not rational individuals. And uh, 
since if you don't, if you can't, I mean, if you're kind of modeling things on rational individuals, a sufficiently large community and you're going to start seeing outliers, right? And uh, you will see uh, behaviors that kind of will break uh, whatever uh, mechanism design you might have uh, designed. So uh, unless you have uh, thought a lot deeper about these things than what I see most blockchains have spent thinking, right? It is, uh, in my mind, another kind of like uh, game where as soon as you scale beyond a certain size, you're going to start you're going to start seeing the limitations of things. Yeah, I was also thinking from the security standpoint because, uh, you know, like when DAOs began, what comes to my mind is the the very first DAO with the big hack where Ethereum was split into Ethereum uh, Classic and the Ethereum other one, right? So, yeah. uh, uh, like, how do you see that evolve? Like, uh, <laughs> So, so that that particular one was uh, <clears throat> a reflection of the I would say uh, naive belief of the community at that time about the purity of uh, the prop blockchain principles, right? As they decided to do a hard fork rather than uh, pay out the money. But of late, if you've noticed, there have been much larger hacks and much larger losses, <laughs> so to speak, uh, on side chains uh, and. Uh, they haven't done it again, have they? Uh, so right. it's a it's kind of like uh, I I see that as kind of like okay they did it uh, in the first part partly because they were very strong they had the strong belief and over time they've started getting more pragmatic about it. Yeah. So uh, your point about security also brings back to brings me back to the uh, uh, Web three. Uh, point which is uh, a lot of the claimed security right that blockchains have can be addressed by cryptography today in distributed networks right so the only thing that blockchains basically have that uh, the other networks don't uh, that a distributed network doesn't essentially is uh, the ability to have a secure network uh, in the in on in the face of having anonymous participants, mm-hmm. right? But uh, if you go back to the idea of okay, how is the blockchain being used today, right? So if you look at most blockchain projects, you'll find that they are all using APIs uh, from centralized entities so you have a company called infura and another company called uh, alchemy Uh, both of these basically are essentially running api services where you can just call their api with your uh, transaction and they will do all the heavy lifting of uh, uh, you know, running a client, uh, an Ethereum client, uh, or a Bitcoin client or node, uh, and even for other uh, blockchains, if you need, uh, and they will do all uh, do the maintenance of that and uh, validation of that, and uh, uh, in return, basically, basically you you can basically use their API, right? right. Um, but if you actually look at how that API is set up, uh, it is unencrypted you basically have to trust 
in Fura when they return a result to you. Uh, because if you actually, for example, go to an Ethereum address, right, and uh, through from your MetaMask wallet and uh, see the value of something over there, and then uh, uh, go through Etherscan, uh, it turns out both of them use Infura. Right? <laughs> so it's, it's a, like if you try to use two wallets and try to uh, validate, cross-validate, chances are both of them are using the same API, one of these two, right? So they're kind of becoming like centralized gatekeepers. And so in which case then where's the, where's the decentralization, right? So, um, and if you're going down that path and you're kind of going down the centralization path, then why are we spending so much time and money doing all this blockchain stuff? You can just use AWS. Right. Uh, I mean, if you want a uh, distributed ledger that is uh, uh, that is reasonably uh, well, not uh, not secure against anonymous actors, but if you want a, de- uh, a ledger that is distributed and decentralized, right. uh, well, you can build one using Hyperledger. You can build one using uh, you know any number of the uh, so-called enterprise blockchain technologies that are out there because they will have all of that and the only downside essentially is that you have to manage the gatekeeper gatekeeping and control the number of nodes yourself um, but it also has a side effect of uh, you don't have to do proof of work mining for example or a proof of stake uh, consensus where you know large amounts of money or large amounts of uh, energy are you know locked up uh, right. You you basically have uh, the only the, the only work you have to do is make sure that all the nodes in the network essentially are vetted by you and known to, known by you. So in a large number of cases, that's enough, you know, uh, for for you to have a decentralized network. A classic case of this essentially, uh, even if you look at uh, if, if you look slightly away from the blockchain for a second, is Mastodon. Uh, Mastodon is, I'm not sure if you've heard of it, uh, but it is actually uh, in the same category as another one, which is called Diaspora. And both of these basically are competitors to Twitter. Okay. So uh, what Mastodon is essentially, is, is it's known as a federated messaging server. And it's mm-hmm. a server that it's a soft piece of software you can set up the server yourself and uh, you can essentially run your own twitter server and you can uh, if you 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 buy a dns uh, host name so again uh, the dns host name is something that you would need anyway for blockchain whatever blockchain project you have Uh, Mm -hmm. you buy a dns host name you set up the server and you broadcast it to all your friends and you can set up a small Twitter messaging interface for yourself. And since it is using this Mastodon protocol, if you actually advertise yourself on uh, their website, uh, other people on other Mastodon servers can uh, subscribe to feeds that are on your machines and you can, and vice versa, right? So it's not like I'm sitting off alone out here. I can basically say, okay, uh, I've created uh, blockchaindialogues.mastodon.org as a, as a, I don't know, uh, uh, host name, 
and I can say, okay, I'm going to now subscribe to epicenter dot uh, mastodon.org for example and, and kind of uh, uh, subscribe to their feed and they can subscribe to our feed and uh, uh, and it and it works uh, this is all built using non-blockchain technologies it's just like uh, a regular database and uh, regular software it's distributed it's decentralized it may not be as secure in the sense that Maybe you somebody would change the data on a server if they hack it, but uh, copies of that feed are available on the other servers. So you will still be have recourse to kind of go and see uh, see what the original was, right? And you can if you if if whoever uh, sees that this has happened and to them they have recourse to kind of at least get the old data back and uh, maybe set up a new server or something, right? Right. So with all the drawbacks of blockchain tech compared to some of the other alternatives that are out there, like you mentioned, uh, how do you finally see the future playing out? Like, uh, do you see, uh, I mean, sounds like, you know, Web 3.0 is not going to get implemented in a fully decentralized way with a complete paradigm shift from the existing uh, 2.0 model. Uh, rather, uh, or, or do you see some, uh, you know, Web 3.0 coexisting with web 2.0 in a way that you know for the most part we are still using web 2.0 but for some applications we use uh, some aspects of 3.0 uh, or uh, do you see like a complete failure of uh, blockchain tech in most parts uh, or do you see you know government regulations you know becoming a problem um so i think it'll uh, it'll so so thank you for pointing it out to me <laughs> i've been kind of a bit of a negative nelly out here haven't i uh but okay so let's put the bullish case for web3 mm -hmm. uh, will web3 solve uh, all web2's problems no uh, is blockchain the only way to solve them no uh, but uh, does blockchain actually have useful technologies that can actually contribute a lot to the next iteration of the internet absolutely yes right so uh, where I actually see this heading is that while Web3 may not be something that gains a lot of traction, is, is kind of there quite yet. What I haven't mentioned is that there is a lot of work actually happening right now, right? Mm -hmm. So we have Ethereum evolving so that it is trying to address the cost problems. It is addressing the scaling problems. And if they address that, then who knows, we might we might actually make it economically viable. Uh, we also have a lot of new technologies coming out, right? We have a lot of new cryptography, ironically, uh, that is going to uh, drive these new technologies. So you have zero-knowledge proofs, you have roll-ups, uh, zero-knowledge proof roll-ups, you have vocal trees. Uh, there is uh, uh, compression based on cryptography that is happening. Uh, a lot of this which would kind of smooth, uh, smoothen down the rough spots, make it more efficient and make it more powerful, right? And uh, all of this is happening. It's just happening a lot slower than uh, what the rest of the world or the marketing uh, departments uh, would like to see. Uh, mm -hmm. This is, again, a challenge of being a protocol. Uh, protocols evolve very slowly. Uh, 
in fact, if you look at uh, the email protocol, it hasn't changed uh, in in 30, 40 years. It started out at the beginning of the internet. It's still not got, is still no secure encrypted uh, way to send email. There is PGP, but it is like bolted on top. It's not part of the core uh, protocol itself. Uh, but yeah, so to, again, I'm digressing. Uh, get get back to the question. Uh, the way I see it is that uh, the the larger companies, right, like uh, Google and Apple and Facebook and all of that, uh, I had mentioned earlier that they've reached the stage in Web two where they're starting to compete with each other and it's becoming a zero sum game, right? And Web three kind of provides them with an opportunity to kind of reinvent themselves a little bit. Uh, so I anticipate that a lot of them are going to start adopting pieces of the Web3 uh, story into, let's say, th their uh, platforms and kind of evolving that uh, there. Uh, and slowly, uh, you know, things like uh, being able to move from one platform to another, having more control over your data, all of these will start coming in because uh, they want to kind of uh, attract uh, more users and kind of grow further. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, I feel that rather than uh, regulations coming after blockchains, regulations have already started coming after them. So uh, I see that basically going to be a major game uh, changer for technology, uh, especially internet uh, as, as a whole, because if the right type of regulation starts targeting them uh, and uh, it will open up a lot more opportunities uh, for other players to come in. Now, whether that is going to be necessarily blockchain-based uh, players, uh, your guess is as good as mine. I, I, I wouldn't venture to uh, bet on it but uh, definitely it's it's an opportunity that's available all right folks that concludes our podcast we hope that you enjoyed this episode on web 3.0 you can subscribe to this podcast on itunes google play and spotify also you can learn more about us on bcdialogues.com thanks again for joining see you next time